Welcome to Gateway Church Wirral Online. We're so delighted that you're with us this morning. So great that you can be a part of our live streamed gathering. Just to welcome you to this space and what we're all about. Um, to say that we as a church, we're all about seeing people meet with God, encounter him for all his goodness and his grace and for lives to be changed by him. As a church, we want to see a world transformed, made better and better through every life transformed by the grace of God. So our hope and our prayer for you today, meet with Jesus in the things that we're saying, in the things that we're singing, in the way that we're opening up the word of God, which is alive for us today. We want you to know Jesus, know that he loves you, know that he has a plan for your life. And as we're going through our gathering this morning, do please connect with us here in this live stream space. You can fill in our connection card. The tab, I think, is at the top of your screen. Request prayer if you'd like to. There are great, friendly people who would love to pray with you. And do just connect with us in any and every way that you'd love to. As a church, we gather. That's what we're about today. When we come to the close of our gathering, I'll tell you how you can connect with us going forward into the week. So have a really great time. Be blessed. Enjoy yourself and enjoy Jesus, we pray. Praise you, God. Praise you, God. You know, when we're not able to, to sing the words and, and, and the singing of the words, so it forms us, doesn't it, spiritually, the singing of the words. And when we're not able to do that, sometimes we can be left with a bit of a disconnection from these truths. And so we're going to spend a moment or two helping our our souls to appreciate and, and really invest in these truths, perhaps also helping our feelings to catch up with our faith. Can we do a bit of that? Because uh, sometimes our feelings can be the last to know, can't they? And the last to catch up. But look, do we really believe that our God is for us? Do we believe that to be true? You know, if you do believe that to be true, come on, let's, let's encourage one another. Do you believe your God is for you? Yeah, do you believe our God is for us? Do you believe that nothing can stand against him? Do you believe then that you can raise a hallelujah in the middle of the storm? Do you believe that to be true? Does anybody want to give that a go and raise a hallelujah? Whether you're here or at home, wherever you are, you can raise a hallelujah in the middle of every storm. Jesus is on the throne. And we believe and we trust in him for his goodness and his glory in all things, in all places, at all times nothing can stand against now we're going to put our faith into action a little bit and we're going to pray we're going to pray for those that we know have need and and then we're going to have opportunity to pray a bit for one another in a covid appropriate way and even uh, if you're at home on the live stream come on you're not excluded we're reaching out and joining together hand and heart in prayer to our one god for his goodness and his grace I'm going to just share with you a little bit briefly about somebody you don't know before we think about some people that we do know. But there's a pastor up in Scotland, Paul Martin. And um, many of you, most of you won't know him. I, I met him once. Um, but we, we kind of struck up a bit of a kind of a kinship because we're in a similar phase of life. He's married to a lovely lady named Isla. They've got two kids. And, um, and we met on a, a pastoring in the prophetic workshop. And dare I say, he was a bit more prophetic than me. Uh, but I was blessed by him. I don't know him, but I was blessed by him. But this um, young man, I think a little younger than me, in fact, um, was diagnosed out of the blue, really, with a cancer diagnosis that sadly has spread throughout his body and has devastated him. And the function of his organs is minimal. And the doctors have said there's nothing they can do. And he's gone in a matter of days into hospice care. 
this family are longing for a miracle. Does anybody want to stand with them this morning for a miracle? Yeah? Okay, that's all we need to know. We need to know that, and we need to know that our God is greater. Okay, so can I invite you right now just to lift up your voices? Don't be shy about this, and don't be partial about this. We place our faith in God, and we're praying for a miracle. Amen? We pray for him to get up from his bed and walk out of that hospice. We pray for restoration for his family. We pray for God's comfort and peace and strength and his healing touch and his wholeness in the name and through the blood of Jesus. Lift your voices, church. If you're at home, lift your voices. Come on. Lift your heart, lift your voices, lift your faith, and we join together in declaring healing. We join together in declaring wholeness, and we join together in declaring God's strength that he will accomplish these things. Jesus, Pupasata da Kiria da 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 masanda bakuria da da na nasienda. Shada da kitiira da masunda basienda. Siria da da makasitia bakuria da da na masiria. Ana masiti kia masunda da kia. Ora da da maana bakuria da bakitia na masienda. We're wanting to extend these prayers to some folks that we do know, who are part of our church family. And uh, some folks who can't be with us this morning because they're struggling and they're in pain and they're wrestling with trouble in their lives. And we want to lift before God. We want to lift Thel before God. And we want to lift Richie before God. And we want to lift Ted Griffiths who needs a touch from God as well. And I know many of you present here as well are Rose and Nova. You need a touch from God, don't you, to bring you through and bring you to the fullness of health. And we want to lift these people before God and say, Jesus, would you touch them? and touch all those around them Lord God and bring healing and restoration and hope lift one another before the Lord would you do that? Jesus we pray Lord God your glory and your grace Lord God poured out in ever increasing measure upon your people Lord God Jesus, Jesus, Jesus we want to pray, Lord God, for each and every one who's present here. We want to invite God's healing and restoring and empowering touch upon our lives. And so we want to do something. And look, if you're on the live stream and you're in need of prayer this morning, you might want to indicate in the chat or you're welcome. You can just press that button and receive prayer, request prayer. If you're here in the building this morning and you're saying, yes, I need healing for my body. Or I need God's touch in these circumstances. Or there's trouble in my life or my family. and I need God to meet with me right now. Would you just go ahead and be a bit brave and raise your hand? Could you do that and raise it super high? If you need God to touch you, to heal your body, to help you in your circumstances, there are hands raised all around. And look, if you're in somebody's bubble and they've raised a hand, would you place a hand on their shoulder and just ask God's healing touch upon them? Look around you. You don't need to close your eyes. If you're not in their bubble, you might not want to go to them, but just reach out to somebody you can see with a hand raised. Look behind you, perhaps, as well as in front of you. And if you're raising your hand, raise it high. And then reach out to one another and pray for one another that God would heal, He would restore, that God would touch lives, that He would totally transform circumstances, that He would make new. 
Jesus. Jesus, Lord Jesus. God, we're praying for each and every one, whether they're here today, whether they're at home today, whether they're in our church in Wallasey, Oasis Church, Lord God, wherever they might be, Lord God, we're praying for people who are in hospital today. God, would you meet them where they are? Lord Jesus Christ, would you heal and make whole? Would you restore, Lord Jesus Christ, and would you lift up weary heads? Lord Jesus, today in each and every circumstance, we would see Jesus. Oh, we look to you. We look to you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Church, can I invite you, whether you're here or at home, would you stand to your feet? We're going to raise a hallelujah one more time. Can we do that? We raise a hallelujah. And look, you might not be singing, but you can just yell hallelujah. There's no regulations about yelling. Uh, Just shout your hallelujahs. Jump up and down and raise your hands and clap your hands and celebrate the goodness of God. We raise a hallelujah in this place. Thank you. I raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. Oh uh-huh.
foggy of late. Does anybody, do you know what I mean? When you feel a bit foggy and you're not quite sure and everything just seems a little confused. Is it just me? Maybe it is. <laughs> I've been feeling a little foggy. Um, but I mean, just, just as I was preparing um, through this week to preach, it, it seemed that God was saying to me that the fogginess, actually it wasn't a fogginess of confusion, it wasn't the fog of confusion. Um, actually, it was the fog of war, um, the fog of battle. You heard that phrase, the fog of war, when everything's really just kicking off. Uh, well, it kicks up a dust, doesn't it? Um, and uh, you might think, well, that doesn't sound too much better, actually, Greg. <laughs> I'm not sure which one I'd want, the fog of confusion or the fog. i tell you what I would rather want. I don't, I don't want the fog of confusion. Sometimes I, I feel like I'm not very clear, and so forgive me if I've not been very clear recently. Um, it certainly has felt like that, but it's the, fog of, it's the fog of war, and actually that brings clarity. It brings focus, doesn't it? You know where you are, you know what you're doing, you know what needs to be accomplished, and it's a really, really good thing. Spiritual battle is actually a gift. It's a gift so that your life isn't just frittered away on meaningless nothing. There's a, there's a path that God is making straight for you. And so, I mean, really, as, as we come around the word today, my two prayers for you are that God would grant you clarity and that God would grant you some fight. Yeah? Clarity and fight. 
Does anybody want some clarity? Wave at me if you want some clarity. Does anybody else want some fight in them? Does anybody want that? Wave both hands if you want some fight. <laughs> I don't know. You're like, I'll wave for the clarity. I'm not worried about the fight. I just uh, keep the other hand. Uh, I don't know. God wants us to have a bit of clarity and a bit of, bit of fight in us. And, um, and you know, this morning as we consider the story of Nehemiah, and we're talking about what it is to build back better over um, these weeks at the moment as we journey into the summer, um, we, we've, we've talked um, with uh, considering Nehemiah about um, prayer and the, the, the root of everything being in prayer and about it, it being in the brokenheartedness that leads us into prayer, prayers of repentance and of confession and of longing and of faith. And then we talked about what it is to then get about the work of building and how it is that actually God commissions us to build with rubble. Um, and he commissions us to build out of a place of brokenness. And that's actually a really, really good thing. We determined last week that actually what God is really, really interested in for you and for me and for us as a church and for the building of his kingdom is not just about walls. It's not just about structures or settings or places. It's about what's within the walls. Amen. I read the other week this challenging statement from, from D.A. Carson, who many of you may know, and he said this. He said, people do not drift toward holiness apart from a grace-driven effort, and don't lose that, it's grace-driven, but without that effort, people do not gravitate toward godliness, to prayer, obedience to Scripture, faith, or delight in the Lord. We drift toward compromise, and we call it tolerance. We drift toward disobedience, and call it freedom. We drift toward superstition, and call it faith. We cherish the indiscipline of lost control and call it relaxation. We slouch toward prayerlessness and delude ourselves into thinking we have escaped legalism. We slide toward godlessness and convince ourselves that we've been liberated. It's a bit tough, isn't it? It's right. It's very true. And the evidence is all around us in our own lives and, uh, and dare I say it, the lives of many around us. We want to ask ourselves, what is in within the walls of our lives? What is in the walls of this church? What are we seeking to build? And oftentimes, you know, what God has granted us in terms of structures and, and facilities, they are enough. And God's calling us not to, to build more stuff. He's calling us to build ourselves. He's calling us to actually be the people that he needs us to be. We've got plenty. We don't need more stuff. We don't need more places. We don't need more opportunities even. We need to be the people that God is calling us to be to seize those opportunities. Amen. I read some incredibly challenging words from a Buddhist of all people, would you believe? And, and he was looking from the outside in upon, and there's been a recent spate, very sadly, of, of Christian leaders falling morally in various ways. And he was looking at that and he was saying, actually, from his perspective, it seemed to him that Christians were far too occupied on trying to convert everyone else and not nearly as occupied as they should be on their own personal walk with God. And that was a Buddhist skewering Christians. He's saying, maybe if you paid attention to how you were becoming more like Jesus, helping other people to become like Jesus would follow naturally. Oof. Does that get anyone? Got me. 
God is calling us to be building bigger people. Building people of holiness and devotion. And this is us. This is you. This is me. It's the call of God upon our lives. And we realized last week that we need to get broken and build with the rubble. It did for Nehemiah and it will do for you. God doesn't need shiny. He values brokenness and contrite hearts. Get broken and build for God. And see how God will fashion things of glory and wonder. This morning, I'm going to invite you to take a risk. I'm going to invite you to take a risk. But before I do, would you join with me in the word of God in uh, Nehemiah, um, in the Old Testament? If you've got a Bible with you, you'll want to open it up. If it's on your device, then open it up. If you're at home, it's built into the live stream. Don't we care for you? And uh, I hope you can find it easy enough. But we're going to begin at the conclusion of chapter one, where we've been largely up until now. And within that last verse, Nehemiah is concluding his prayer and he concludes his prayer and then right at the end he says, and you can see it there, he says, now I was cupbearer to the king. A position of responsibility, a decency of status and he has some function that provides for him an audience on a regular basis with the king. And the word of God continues, in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now, I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but the sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven and I said to the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, how long will you be gone and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given me to the governors of the province beyond the river that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah and a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked for the good hand of my God was upon me. And I think we'll leave it there for a moment before we continue um, in a little while. I love the way Nehemiah asks. <laughs> I love it for so many reasons, and we'll dig into that into a moment. But um, just, just for a minute or two, I want to take you perhaps to a different place in a different time and to think about, of all things, the American War of Independence. Saying, Pastor Greg, you're all about fighting this morning. Yes, I am. Um, so, you know, if you want to come down and, and have some prayer um, at the conclusion of this service, it might get a little bit fiery. Um, but there you go. I, the American War of Independence... Um, 
I, to be honest, and you know, I'm not just, not just saying this because you're here, Robin, but you know, unfortunately, we were on the wrong side of that one, um, morally and actually and eventually. But within that, um, there was a guy called Thomas Paine. Have you ever come across him? Um, he spoke much more eloquently than I ever could. And he said this, and it's one of my favorite quotes of all times. These are the times that try men's souls. Women's souls too. Anybody feel a bit tried within their soul? I suspect many of us do. And he said this, the summer soldier and the sunshine patriot will in this crisis shrink from the service of their country. But he that stands by it now deserves the love and the thanks of man and woman. Tyranny, like hell, is not easily conquered. Yet, we have this consolation with us that the harder the conflict, the more glorious the triumph. Yeah, I thought you need kind of a huzzah at that moment or something, don't you? Is it just me? Oh, you're a miserable bunch this morning. I'm going to have to come around and start kicking someone in the seat of the pants, I reckon. But anyhow, here he continued like this. What we obtain too cheap, we esteem too lightly. It is dearness only that gives everything its value. Heaven knows how to put a proper price upon its goods, and it would be strange indeed if so celestial an article as freedom, and it's in capital letters, freedom, you've got to kind of give it some, haven't you? It'd be strange if so celestial article as freedom should not be highly rated. There they were, the significant challenge the presumed strongest nation on earth at the time with its vast resources and its highly trained army must be overcome if the American colonies were to be free of the imperial British boots. Boo hiss. I don't, can we do that in this country? Can we boo and hiss the imperial British boots? I think we have to, don't we, really? Um, but there you go. This is, this is the challenge. This is what was going to happen. It seemed risky to many, if not most. And Thomas Paine was writing both to, to skewer the, the cowardliness and the faint-heartedness of some, perhaps, but, but over all of that, to, to rouse the, the hearts of the people to, to what ought to be done. The harder the conflict, the more glorious the triumph. Does anybody like the sound of that? You're like, I like the sound of the triumph, not sure about the conflict. I like the sound of the glory, I'm not sure about the hardness of it all. Summer soldiers and sunshine patriots. If he was writing today, it would probably be keyboard warriors or something like that, wouldn't it? And he'd be saying, they're the type who might flinch and falter. How can it be done? Wouldn't the challenge, wouldn't addressing the challenge make things worse? What if it all goes wrong? Yet those who understood, they held freedom so dear that they truly esteemed its value. They were willing to take the risk. Take the risk. Move from the place of comfort or of status or of standing or of certainty and move into the places of uncertainty. Take the risk. Those independence fighters, they dreamed the dream of freedom and they jumped off the deep end. Dream your dream and then take a risk. What are your dreams for the kingdom of God where you are? I've got plenty of dreams. And I don't mind if people want to join me in them, but come on, God is calling each and every one of us to have dreams because no matter how big my dreams are, they're unlikely to be dreams specifically for your families or for your streets or for your places of work, largely because I'm never there, nor am I likely to be. 
I don't know what's going on in your families. I don't know what your street looks like. I don't know what it looks like when you go to school or, or college or to your place of work. I, I can't really dream the dreams for those places. And God is calling for more dreamers. More dreamers. It's not a bad thing to be a dreamer. We act somehow as though dreaming is the opposite of action. But dreaming is the place in which action is stirred up and brewed up and boiled up. And if you're willing to dream and then jump off into the deep end of your brew. <laughs> God can do good things. Now I say all of this to you as somebody who is not naturally inclined to take a risk. And you know, the Bible says that, and we talked about it a little already through this series, godly sorrow produces repentance. And that leads to salvation without regret. And I don't have regrets in Christ Jesus uh, because I've been saved by his grace. And I know that my life is secure. I will see my Savior and I will be satisfied. And so fundamentally, I don't live with regret. But if I think about it, the things that might just creep back up with a little bit of regret are largely, uh, sometimes they're about the times that I've made wrong decisions or maybe hurt somebody. Sometimes that, that's the way and I ask God to help me to get better and do better. But most of my regrets are about not taking risk. I'm only 41. I am a wee spring chicken in life, clearly. No, no amens. No, okay, you're just going to leave me hanging. You're like, who is he kidding? Uh, I'm, I'm about halfway probably through my life. Or maybe a little bit further. I don't know. Erin and I, um, early on in our relationship, Erin said, this is how it's going to be, Greg. I'm going to go to be with Jesus first. And so I don't have to deal with all of the worry and grief about losing you. And so, well, you know, however long it is, apparently I just have to hang on. I don't know. Uh, but I'm about halfway through, probably. But already there's like these kind of niggling or lingering regrets. And they're largely about the times that I haven't taken a risk. I don't know why it is. It's just a bit of the way I am wired. But oftentimes the, the risks in my life, I've needed perhaps some risk takers or people who've loved me and just wanted to get me to do something or try something or have a go to move me on into taking a risk. Sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. I remember um, one of our youth weekends, uh, when I was a young person, which as we've agreed wasn't that long ago, um, but when I was on one of our youth weekends, I remember there were a group of us lads, and I can, I can say this because I think most of our, well some of our young people are here, so you might want to plug your ears at this point, uh, but we used to get up to some mischief, shall I put it like that? That's a very gentle way of describing some of the things that we used to get up to, but I distinctly remember um, one of the very earliest youth weekends that I went on. And I can see the children coming back in just in time to hear Pastor Greg talk about his crimes and misdemeanors. Um, but uh, I remember one of these occasions, and I was just a good boy. I, was a, I don't know where it all went wrong. I was a good boy. Uh, but I remember on one occasion, the decision was made that we would all flee our room at the dead of night. And we would go and attempt some things, which I'm not going to talk about tonight. But the only way for us to flee our room at the dead of night was to open the window and take a, a literal leap into the dark. But we being a bunch of 14-year-old lads, nobody had actually wrecked the situation. Nobody had made any plan whatsoever. Does this sound familiar to any gentleman here today? We're more just about just getting it done. Let's just get it done. And then we'll talk about it afterwards. And so um, we all queued up at the window. And, um, and we all just leapt out into the dark. 
And, um, and I just heard just these noises as one after another we all hit the ground beneath. And there I am stood at the window and I'm just not naturally inclined to take a risk. But everybody had gone and there they all were at the bottom in between their moans calling for me to come and join them. And so I leapt out into the dark and I fell and I fell and I fell a little bit more, and then just a little bit more, and then I hit the ground, and I think my hips more or less joined up with my shoulders as I hit the ground and tumbled face forwards into a rock. Does it ever feel like that when you take a risk in life? Does it ever? And you kind of, you know, maybe you've thought a little bit about it, and you were like, I looked out of that window before, and it didn't seem that far, but now that nighttime has come, and the risk must be taken, it just seems like an awful big leap in the dark. I stand before someone, you before you as somebody today who can still walk, it turned out all right. Um, you can take a risk. I don't naturally take risks. And, you know, Erin and I, I think we, we, we recognize this within our kids that, that my boy is a bit more like me. He's a bit more cautious. And he kind of weighs things up and he's less inclined to leap out of a window. But when he comes of age, I'll grab him by the hand and we're going to leap out of a first floor window. No, we're not going to do that. Um, but, uh, you know, he's less inclined. To, whereas Nora, um, bless her, she's a lot more like a mum, and she will just basically leap off a mountain um, should the opportunity arise. We're wired differently, but that doesn't mean that we can't take a risk. You know, when we sing the song, Reckless Love, in church, how does that sit with you? Are some of you like, oh, I love the extravagance of, of the way that God pours himself out for me upon the cross. Or are some of the others of you thinking, reckless, that doesn't sound right. How can that be reckless? Surely God should have budgeted for his love, made a plan, determined that he paid all of his obligations first and then with whatever was left over, he could pour out his love upon us. Are any of you wired like that? Yeah, I bet some of you are. And you struggle with the idea of risk. Now, please understand that the risk that we're talking about, the risk that Nehemiah made, it wasn't because of the absence of thought or good sense. The risk Nehemiah embarks upon, it isn't because he doesn't pray and meditate upon God. As we read in chapter 1 just there, there were a couple of kind of months, um, sorry, in chapter 1, sorry, and then into chapter 2 as we read. Uh, there were a couple of months there that are indicated to us. Now, you don't need to know your kind of Jewish calendars, and truth be told, I don't know either. But when I've looked at it, apparently Nehemiah is waiting on the Lord for four months between hearing about the problem and then this, this episode that we've just read in front of the king. Four months. Now, what do we know that he was doing in that time? Well, we know that he was praying, that he was weeping, that he was repenting, that he was confessing. Do we think it was just that one moment when he had an emotional kind of buzz? No, probably consistently through these four months. Why do we know that? Because he comes before the king and his face is sad. His face is sad. This is still real for him. He's still invested in this prayer. He's still invested in what is happening all around him. This is important. Nehemiah, he knows his need to be deeply sunk into the well of God's wisdom, of God's power and God's purpose. But do you know what else? Nehemiah is not one of those God followers. And forgive me you know, for being so blunt about this. But too many followers of Jesus, when we're faced with a need or when we're faced with a call to action, we say, I'll pray about that, brother. And truth be told, we don't do anything else, ever. And truth be told, we might pray about it once, but we don't certainly pray about it for four months. We're not that invested. And we have to be honest about this. Sometimes 
Saying that we will pray becomes an excuse for really getting a hold of the heart of God and then really starting to live out that heart of God into the world. I got incredibly quiet. It's true. Some of us, we need to stop using prayer as an excuse to do nothing. It's true. Some of us, we've made prayer almost like it's a superstitious litmus test. You know, we have the entirety of the wisdom of the Bible freely available to us if we would only open it. We have the very person of Jesus Christ, the incarnate Son of God, who has walked this world before us and walks ahead of us even now calling us onward. We're filled with the Holy Spirit and maybe we need to be being filled with the Holy Spirit a little bit more. But we have all of these riches and yet we're still acting as though we're a bit like Gideon who had none of those things, putting out a fleece. Because that's all he had. Christians, why are we putting out fleeces when we've got the word, we've got the saviour, and we've got the spirit? You've gone even quieter. 99% of the revealed will of God for your lives is between the pages of scripture. It's almost all there. And if we're hanging around thinking that God's got something unique for us that doesn't largely look what you find in those pages, then you're going to be hanging around for quite a while. Because most of what God wants you to do is freely and readily available. He just wants you to figure it out where you are. Have a go. And take a risk. Pray by all means. But God's already told you most of what he wants you to do. You know, when you read through the book of Nehemiah or you read through Ezra for that matter, and you ought to, it'll do you really loads of good. You'll find that they did just that. They opened up the word of God again. This had been lost for lots of them for lots of the time, but they opened it up again. And what did they do? They read it. And then here's the revolution. They did it. It's kind of like it's this woof, petty drop moment. They read it and then they did it. Um, even though it was incredibly costly at times and really challenging and really tough, they just got on and did it. You, know, you might say it's risky to do what the Bible says and certainly there is challenge in it, but not to do the plainly revealed word of the Lord within your life is far riskier in the long term far riskier you remember that story of Jesus' disciples in the boat on that occasion on the Sea of Galilee, do you remember this? Matthew 14 and, um, and they see Jesus walking on the water because I don't I, 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 I love this <laughs> do you think about it sometimes? Was Jesus opportunistic? Did he just kind of see them on a boat and he just thought I'll walk on the water. <laughs> Did he just have that moment? Or was this kind of like his predetermined plan of God that they'd established before the foundation of the earth, that at just that moment that God would do this in order to kind of teach them and teach us eternally? I don't know. Uh, but it's lovely, isn't it? Um, that Jesus thought, I'm going to walk on the water. And, that, and not just kind of for funds, but so they'll see me. And then there'll be this incredible moment. And, um, and I love the fact that, that when Jesus... What does he say to them? He says, take heart. Take heart. Do you know what that means? It doesn't mean here's a big cuddle to make you feel comfy and you can just sit back and just relax. Take heart means take courage. You know, it's those words that we began with from Tom Paine, isn't it? It's just, come on. Let's have a go. 
And, and Peter, he hears the word of God and he does it. He says, if you call me, then I'll come to you. Because, uh, you know, there's nothing wrong with prayer. That's prayer. Do, do you know that's prayer? He talks to Jesus and says, if you call me, I will come. And here's the answer to prayer, come. And so he does. <laughs> it's quite simple, isn't it? I think we overcomplicate prayer a little bit too much. And so he gets out on the water, doesn't he? And he starts to walk on the water. I'm going to leave the story there because all of you are far too fixated on what happens afterwards. But get fixated upon what happened up to that point. He prayed and he did. Amen. And, and, and Jesus rescues him. And he's fine and he's standing there hand in hand with Jesus. Because you don't think that Jesus picked him up out of the water and then let go of his hand again, do you? No. There they are stood hand in hand on the water. Now too many of us, we think that we're safer when we're in the boats of our own making. And some of you make really good boats. You're clever. You've got capacity. You're competent. You're able. Some of you are well-resourced. You make excellent boats. But here's the truth. You're never safer in any of those boats than you are standing on the raging waves hand in hand with Jesus. You're never safer. You will never make a boat that is safer than standing on the water hand in hand with Jesus. What are you making your life about? Are you building better boats? Or are you walking on the water with Jesus? Take a risk. Pray. Open the vial and then do it. Do it. You might not have everything there. The other 1% God will give it to you as you go along. We trust in what we understand instead of trusting in the one who is far beyond our understanding. Come on. And we were praying about it before the gathering this morning. Too often we lean on our own understanding. Does anybody want to lean? This doesn't sound like a good thing to me. Leaning. It's passive. Leaning. There's no real kind of stability to it, is there? If I'm leaning on something, you give me a good shove, I'm going to fall over. You can try it later for your own entertainment. If I'm leaning, it's no good. But if I believe, trust in God for his wisdom, his understanding that's way bigger than me, then he makes some straight paths. What do you do with the path? You walk on it. You don't just stand there and say, oh, isn't that a lovely path? You just put one foot on it, don't you? And then the next one, and then the next one. And, the next one, and, the next one, and, the and you don't know a great deal, but you just go. Take a risk. Take a risk. Now come back with me just to that scene that we read. Nehemiah before the king of Persia. Yes, Nehemiah prayed. He prayed. You know, just when, when the opportunity starts to unfold and, and, uh, and there he is. And, uh, and, and the king is asking him about why he's sad and this sadness, sickness of the heart. Nehemiah, he shoots up another little quick prayer, doesn't he? Now, I don't suppose that he got down on his knees and said, hang on, king. I'm just going to spend half an hour here. In prayer. I don't think that would have gone so well, would it? It's probably one of those, uh, and sometimes people turn them like arrow prayers, don't they? And it's just like, shoot up a quick kind of prayer. And anybody like to shoot up prayers in every circumstance? You know, you can do this if you've not done it before. And why don't you give it a go this week? When you're faced with something that just seems a bit too much or a bit too challenging or, or you don't really understand, then come on, you might not have the time for a couple hours Bible study in that moment, but you've got time to say, help me, God. <laughs> Guide me, God. I submit myself to your will, God. Help me to take heart, God. You can do that. And then he does that. 
And, um, and, and Nehemiah prayed, but then he takes this first small step of faith. It's a risky step. It's a small one nonetheless. Yet as soon as then he gets the go-ahead from the king, you know, in the very next verse, he's off and running. He's off and running. Here's the wonder. You take a risky step, and the next step is easier. And then the next step gets opened up to you. And all of a sudden, you see how the path is going, and, and the challenges that seem so massive now seem an awful lot smaller compared to the massive God who's accomplished incredible things through your risky faith. It gets better. It gets better. Oh, come on, church. You can't possibly have never taken a risky step of faith. That's a good point to say amen. Has anybody ever taken a risk in God? Come on, you know that this is true. You've just kind of forgotten a little bit. It's all right. No one's beating you up about it. We're just going to do it again. And he gets up and running. In verse 8, Nehemiah says, The king granted him what he asked. And then in verse 9, he says, he came to the governors of the province that he needed to travel to. There's, like, there's not, not a breath in between. It's like the king said, yes, and Nehemiah, the doors were swinging. It's like, poof, 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 poof. It's like that cartoon moment, isn't it? That, you know, the king said, yes, and then there's just this puff of smoke as, as, as Nehemiah's like flying out the door. This is the call of God upon your life. He says, just have a go. And if you sink, he'll pick you up. It's not a problem. In verse 11, he's in Jerusalem. That's quite a bit of a distance he's traveled in just a few short verses because he's like, I got it. I'm going to go for it. Oh, yeah. I long for the day when you're out of masks on because I'm assuming that your fearful eyes are not being matched by your mouths. I'm assuming you're smiling gloriously. Come on. <laughs> Take a risk, have a go. Now, Nehemiah, he can get on his bike because he's done the groundwork. He hadn't been sad in work before. You know, practically speaking, someone who's the cupbearer to the king, he doesn't want to be looking sad in front of the king because I don't think the king's going to want to drink the cup. Do you see how it goes? It's like, here, king, this is perfectly good. <laughs> This is not going to go down well, is it? He's going, I'm not drinking that. Also off with his head. Um, it's not, but he's not been sad. But this is actually not just kind of a practical thing. He's done some work on his character, hasn't he? He's done some groundwork on his godly character. That stuff that we were talking about from Carson before about our holiness. He's done this groundwork. He's done the prayer work. Firing up that extra prayer. Eleven times Nehemiah is recorded as praying in this one little book. He does the prayer work, but then he gets on with it. I don't want to hang around any much longer figuring out before I get on my bike. What did Nehemiah actually know? He knew it was all broken down. We talked last week about graves. He knew that there was something invested there. He knew something about the kingdom. He didn't necessarily know a lot more, but he did the work on his character. He prayed, and then he got on his bike. Amen. I don't really want to spend the rest of my life figuring it all out before I get on my bike. Do any of the rest of you? Honestly, are we going to spend the rest of our lives understanding everything before we do anything? That's too much. Our heads aren't big enough. He gets on his bike. 
And did you know that the word go occurs 1,514 times in the Bible? Do you think maybe God's trying to kind of impress something upon us? That the parting words of Jesus to us upon this earth were, go and make disciples. Go! Go and make disciples. You've got to come before you go is an obvious truth. Go! Is that the primary focus of your life? Are you going, making disciples, seeing the kingdom come, building the things of God? Well, if it isn't, then do we need to challenge ourselves a little bit. Are we actually just disobedient? Now, I know we could externalize this and make it very easy on ourselves. You know, we could say, oh, it's because of this, or it's because of that, or it's because of the other. I was quite challenged by the words of, of Mo Farah just this week. I keep on wanting to say Mo Salah these days because my affections have been kind of superseded a little bit. Mo Farah, um, 38 years old, incredibly young man, quite obviously, to my 41, quite young. Um, but he didn't make the Olympic qualifying time. Did you come across this this week? And, uh, and there they were, and it was wet, and it was windy. Not only that, but they were also in Manchester, just to make it worse. That's right. That's for you, Adam. Um, nothing good. Can anything good come from... No, I don't know. Lots can, actually. Incredibly good things come from Manchester. But it, and he had this ankle problem that meant he couldn't do the qualifying thing earlier in the year. And then there were all sorts of issues. And he said, I can't blame any of the conditions. None of them. He said, I can't blame any of that. I don't know why it didn't happen, but it didn't happen. Right now, I feel a bit all over the place, but I'm just going to assess where I'm at. He didn't blame anything outside of himself. And that was a pretty big deal, don't you think? Yes. Tokyo or no Tokyo. Now, come on, we're, we're all kind of living our lives, and we're, we're saying it was wet or it was windy or I was in Manchester. And you might be. You might be. But so is Jesus. Yes. You know, Peter, imagine him later on drying off on the shore, what was he talking about? Was he saying, oh, wasn't it awful the way I sank in those waves? I'm really, you know, I took my eye off, you know, and everything round about me was terrible. It was really miserable. No way was he saying that to all the other disciples. He was cock of the walk, wasn't he? Don't you think he was feeling on top of the world? And he was like, you guys, you should have got out of your rubbish boat. You should have walked. Did you see me walk on that water? And then did you see how Jesus grabbed a hold of my hand? And then, and then he got me up. And then we walked on water all the way back. Did you see these things? Oh, goodness, you're miserable this morning. I'm glad Peter wasn't telling you that story. He probably would have given you a big kick when you didn't get excited about it. Somebody's impregnated your masks with excitement reducer. He was excited about what was happening and the circumstances were tough. And I know that some of you are facing tough circumstances, but Jesus is there with you. Amen. He's with you. He will uphold you with his strong right hand. Don't you want that? Or do you want to sit in your boat? Go. Or do you want to be disobedient? You know, I read this blog recently, and we're going to come into close, so perhaps the worship team will join me. But 
I read this blog recently, and, and she was the lady, this Christian writer, and she was writing about the simplicity of a dog. And the dog received a, 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 an instruction, and the dog just did it. I know some of you dog owners are like, if only. <laughs> but, uh, but this dog just did it. It was simplicity of action. It just did it. And then she was contrasting that with, with humanity. And perhaps all the way from Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve, there they are. And they didn't just do it. They, said, they, they kind of were like, did God really say? And they started to question the simplicity of the Word of God. And they, they disobeyed. And the title of this blog was, To Delay is to Disobey. And oh my goodness, didn't that just get me? And she landed it like this. She said, there's strength in obedience, in swift godly submission. She said, think of Abraham's willingness to sacrifice his son in obedience to God's instruction. Mary's response of, yes, Lord, may it be to me as you have said. And Jesus' humble submission to God the Father as he hung on the cross. Each one of these acts of prompt sacrificial obedience produced blessings for the ages. <sighs> blessings for the ages. Look, you've come to church this morning, and here is the promise of God that your prompt, swift obedience brings blessings for the ages. What were you planning to do with your life? <laughs> How was your Monday looking? Because please, God, it's got to look different now, hasn't it? Prompt, swift obedience. Here's the truth. And we'll have to consider more of this this evening around communion online because time has gone. This isn't, this isn't silliness. This is not stupidity. You know, Nehemiah, he gets stuck into this. He takes the risk. You know, you read on for yourself. He's not spoiling for a fight. He's not like, you know, just some sort of, you know, one of those kind of crazy people. And, you know, they have a few and then they're on every corner swinging at anybody. He's not like that. You know, Sambalat, Tobiah, all of these enemies that come up in the book a bit later on, they're saying, come on out to meet us. Nehemiah knows it's a fight. It's a trap. And he says, no, I'm busy. I'm busy doing God's stuff. He's not spoiling for a fight. At the same time, he knows he's got to be ready for one. And so there they are with their weapons as they're building, and half of them are keeping watch, ready for the potential of the fight. Half of them are building. Look, this is not silliness. Being risky with God is the safest and most secure thing you can possibly do, in fact. But here's the truth. If you're not ready for a spiritual fight, if you're not ready to take the risk, then when the fight comes, you'll assume you're doing the wrong thing and you'll stop taking the risks. You're in the kingdom of God. Are you a summer soldier or a sunshine patriot? Far too many Christians seem to believe that everything needs to be peaceful and at peace and everything needs to be perfect. And if I just feel right about it, then I'll be able to do it. Or when everything calms down, then I'll be able to have a go. Would you stand with me? We're going to come and be led in worship now. And as we worship, I want to invite you. As we conclude our, our times together, we have the opportunity to do a couple of things. And one is to give. And I know many of you are giving by these electronic means. And, and this is a wonderful opportunity to do that according to the leadership of God. We also have the opportunity not only to give financially, but to give our lives. Because God wants everything. 
It's a jealous God. Did you know that? He doesn't want to share you. And he asks for all of you. And so, just to help you in your prayers, I want to share you the story of a guy called George. And I got this story from my, my kid's devotional book. <laughs> we do devotions after dinner. If chaos hasn't totally consumed us but they've got this book at the moment it's called taste of asia and we're traveling around asia and seeing how god is at work and and then there's a page about china and here's the story of a guy called george who went to china so you don't you don't need to look at me right now you can close your eyes if you want to it's just reflect upon your own life and if this is helpful then great god uses unlikely people like george George had a wooden leg and so there were lots of things he couldn't do should have stopped him being a missionary you might think lots of people said it should when George lived in the 1860s China was a dangerous place taking George to China would be a big risk when people asked George why he wanted to go he said I do not see those with two legs going so I must Hudson Taylor saw George's love for Jesus, so he welcomed George into the China Inland Mission. George went to the city of Wenzhou, and some people there believed his message about Jesus. One of them was a boy who was partly paralyzed down one side. It seemed unlikely that he would walk all around the city sharing Jesus, but that's exactly what the boy did. Many years later, it was hard to be a Christian in China. In 1966, all the church buildings were closed and it seemed unlikely that the church would survive. God had other plans. If you go to Wenshu today, you'll find over 1,000 churches, including the one George started, and over 1 million Christians. Consider your life before God in prayer. Now, I don't know, maybe you consider yourself at the moment, maybe you feel a bit like a George, you feel like you've got a wooden leg. Maybe you feel a bit like that lad who was paralyzed down one side and you're not sure whether you can take a risk. Maybe you feel a bit like those 1966 churches being persecuted by the communist regime and you feel like you're just ready to fold or collapse. I don't know how you feel this morning. I don't know what your trouble is. But Jesus is reaching out a hand to you in the middle of the storm. And he's saying to you, take heart, have courage. Another word for courage, faith. Take a risk, take a risk. How about a thousand churches? How about a million Christians? That's a risk worth taking, don't you think? Come on, God, we place our lives in your hands. Lord Jesus Christ, we might not naturally be risk takers. We might feel like we're not in a position to take a risk. But Lord Jesus Christ, make us so that we're not so obsessed with our boats. And that God, we're willing to step out onto the water. Lord Jesus Christ, I pray that I would be a risky pastor. Lord Jesus, make me who is so averse to risk, make me a risk taker. Lord Jesus, would you transform me, Lord God?
so that when I look at my wooden leg, Lord Jesus, you would tell me, take heart. And I would every time. Lord Jesus, I don't want another regret in my life. And Lord Jesus, here's the church I want to pastor. I want to pastor a church of risk takers. Lord Jesus Christ, I want to be chasing after people who are constantly running after you. Lord Jesus Christ, I want to be outstripped all the time in this run, in this race. Lord Jesus Christ, I want to see people running on water and sinking from time to time and then getting picked up by you again. And I want to be on the shore with those people and I want to hear them telling me that they stepped out on the water. I don't want to do anything else. Jesus, make us a risky place. Risky people. Risk takers. Jesus, we want to be people of godly character. We want to be people who are soaked in prayer. We want to be people who know just enough to take that first step. Make us take it, God. Make us take it, God. Make us take it, God. Now, I reckon time has probably gone. But here's what we're going to do. I can't, you know, sometimes when we're kind of in these places, I would invite you to come down to the front. Uh, I don't think I can get away with that. It's being recorded. I'm going to ask you to do something really different. Is that all right? If you want to be a risk taker this morning, we're going to get led in song. And, and those of you on stage, you get special dispensation because I know your heart. And that's okay. But if you're not on the stage or if you're at home this morning, we're going to get led in this song. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to be praying for you. But if you want to respond to Jesus and say, God, here's my wooden leg. Here's my paralyzed side. Here's the persecution I'm facing. Here's the waves that seem to be getting over me. But I will walk out in faith. Then that's exactly what I want you to do. I want you to walk out. Don't stand around. If you want to come back in later and have a chat with someone, that's fine. You know, if you've left your handbag or or your baby, then you come back in later. That's all right. But if you want to say yes to Jesus this morning, then don't sit around and look at me. As we're led in song this morning, you're saying yes to Jesus, then just get up and leave. If you're at home, just get up and go out your front door. Give your faith some legs this morning. And I don't know, some of you are way too practical. You're like, that doesn't mean anything, Greg. Let me tell you, it means everything. It means everything. So if that's you this morning, and don't worry about anyone around you. Don't worry about what they might think or if anyone's looking at you, I'll face the back so you you don't feel any pressure. But if that's you this morning, as the song begins, just get up and go. Would you do that? Get up and go. And as you go, say, God, uphold me with your strong right hand. I'm going to take a risk today. If that's you, get up and go. Get up and go. Don't wait. Don't delay. Get up and go. Get up and go. Get up and go. Again, it's been such a delight to be able to share together as a church this morning and uh, we know 
uh, that taking what God has been doing in our lives, we can go and have wonderful weeks with him. Just to um, invite you um, to journey together with one another as we go through the week. We as a church, we don't just gather, but we get going into what God has for us together. And we have these things called transform communities. We would love to help you to connect with other like-minded people who are exploring God's goodness and grace and seeing how they can be a part of his transforming work in the world. So again, hit us up, get in touch. We'd love to help you to connect. Anything that you need, any prayer requests, do let us know. And we'll love to see you again this time next week. God bless you and bye for now.